Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Uh, before we get stuck into the podcast, I want your help. I'm going to be on the radio on Christmas Day. Pre-recorded. So, uh, what we want to do on Christmas Day is not dwell too much on the negative stuff that might have happened this year, but to celebrate some of the heroes, the Christmas crackers, if you will. So, what I want from you to know from you is what has got you through 2020? Who has got you through? Whether it, it might be your mate who's done something for you which is worth uh, celebrating on the radio... It might be a neighbour who's gone beyond the call of duty. It might be a, a national treasure that you think uh, needs to be celebrated. It might be a TV show, uh, a, a song or a snack, which has got you through 2020. Uh, we will celebrate them all. So email me, matt.chorley at times.radio, or you can tweet me at mattchorley, and uh, we will celebrate your 2020 heroes on Christmas Day. Right, um, it's a little way off from uh, Christmas just yet, so let's concentrate on what is happening today. Coming up, we've got PMQs Unpacked, uh, where we pause the action from the House of Commons live, although uh, Keir Starmer not in the House of Commons this week. Uh, he's self-isolated, so he appeared via video link. Before that, it's our columnist panel, and we kick off as ever on Wednesday. It's Camp Alice, as literally nobody is calling them. It's John Kampfner and Alice Thompson. Talking of which, let's talk about Brexit. Um, uh, it's all going very well. A deal's going to be done, and we need to stop worrying. Is that right, John? Oh, absolutely. You know me, Matt. Um, I um, uh, Yeah, so tonight we have the Last Supper, as it's being called, in Brussels, in the uh, less than beautiful Berlamont building with Ursula von der Leyen, who is, um, she's the uh, the first commission president in a long time that the Brits can't slag off because um, she's actually very kind of pro-British and very kind of calm and, and, and um, just a sort of uh, foreigner that, that Brits like to deal with. And yet um, it's going to be very difficult. I still think that uh, there will be give on both sides. And you can already hear it in Michael Gove and others saying, um, sort of rewriting history, yes, that's always what we agreed to, whether it's Northern Ireland and uh, form-filling that's now going to be the case. And uh, in a way, you, you can see both the way they're going to uh, manage it both ways. If they make compromises, they, they'll say, well, they weren't really compromises anyway. And if it all goes pear-shaped, we're already seeing customs, we're seeing queues already at uh, at our ports and Honda closing production, all that sort of thing. We'll just blame it on the foreigners. Is the part of you, John, that's, that's torn between, because we've spoken many times before about how you're, you're no fan of Brexit, um, that, uh, I mean, if it all goes badly wrong, you do get an I told you so moment. It just <laughs> might not be very good for the country. Yeah, but that's, at the risk of sounding pious, that's a bit sort of... Uh, it's a bit cheap because in a way sort of told you so you can already say that because our economic growth since 2016 has been far lower than other countries. Uh, we're already bearing the burden of the um, mistaken decision that we took and the lies that were told. So I've had my I told you so moment and I would rather the country begin to recover and begin to 
see sense and forge a new path. And the idea that we're going to sort of do it alone, whether it's on security or let alone trade, uh, dealing with uh, climate change, big, huge conference in Glasgow at the end of, of November, December, we've got a huge amount of um, uh, making friends again and stop this ridiculous English exceptionalist hubristic nonsense. We've just got to sort of learn to behave ourselves. Alice, I don't know if you've um, read Danny Finkelstein in the paper today, in the Times. Um, I thought he was really interested in sort of summing up how sort of what everyone's fighting over is basically uh, a sort of, um, uh, what's the word, it's not a show, a mirage. So he's, he says the EU's insisting on protections it won't need against a UK policy that won't happen. The EU has demanded the right to do something it isn't going to do. Um, and everyone, you know, everyone's sort of holding their positions. But the, the Britain is basically demanding the right to choose to do what it wants, even though it's not going to do that. And the EU wants protection from that, even though it's not going to happen. Yeah, I think that sums it up, don't you? I think Daniel Dan, Dan wrote an excellent column, um, particularly as someone who was a Remainer and um, has then um, stopped whinging, really, and sort of worrying, as we've all been told we're doing the whole time, and has been very pragmatic and tried to work out what should happen. My real fear at the moment is the winter control and coordination cell that's been set up in number 10, because that just sounds terrifying, which is called D20. And it's <laughs> to cope with what they now think is going to happen, which is flooding deaths, gridlock in Kent and no deal Brexit, which does fill you with horror, really, um, as they're worried that no one's going to get any Christmas presents because they're all going to be stuck in the port and um, it's going to be um, snowfall and the coldest winter ever. It doesn't really fill you with optimism about what is going to happen in the next couple of months, whatever happens at the Last Supper, really. Um, So, yeah, I think that's the thing that's concerning me most today, really. Do you feel like the stakes are a bit lower, Alice? I mean, it just, I don't know if it's Brexit fatigue because we've been around this course so many times or that, that actually, uh, given what we've been through this year, but the, the health, social, economic impact of all of that, that actually, you know, the trading relation, you know, Michael Gove on the telly promising us that sausages can move backwards and forwards in Northern Ireland just doesn't seem quite so important. Important though it is the economy and all of that, it's, the stakes just seem a bit low. I'm not, I'm not sure that everyone is gripped by this second season of Brexit in quite the same way. No, not at all. It's, a, it's always, as we know, sequels are always worse, but I think this one really is uh, something that you'd avoid if you can. Just And I think people have just had enough. They're just absolutely exhausted. They're just trying to get over the finishing line to the end of the year, really, now. Um, and I think this whole obsession with Christmas means we've all got to gear up again and try and make it happen and make it possible. And to have Brexit right in the middle of that, I think, is just a huge distraction almost for most people now. They know it's going to happen. They know it's going to be a disaster. Um, they've got a lot of other issues to worry about. They're worried about the economy, their jobs, you know, their parents, their children. That it's just Brexit's just one more aspect to factor in. It's almost too much. It's almost as if we can't compute it, issue. Yeah, we, but yeah, the Whitehall suffers from a bandwidth problem, so do the rest of us. John, where do you think the political risk comes from, comes from for Boris Johnson? Because it, it feels a little bit like... They're sort of fighting the old battle again. They're actually with a majority of 80 uh, and with the Labour Party supposedly uh, at worst abstaining, um, uh, not voting against this deal, uh, if were we to get a deal. Um, does he need to worry about, you know, your ERGs and we had Bill Cash on Time Total Breakfast this morning and, uh, you know, Steve Baker and all that sort of thing. If they, I mean, I'm sure Nigel Farage will stamp his feet and say the whole thing's a betrayal. But I'm not sure. Is there a political risk for that in that for Boris Johnson? Not nearly as much as they would like uh, him yeah. to to believe. No, I don't think uh, there is. I mean, they're obviously 
causing trouble wherever they can. They do it also on COVID and COVID restrictions. There is this sort of, again, there's this sort of uh, um, libertarian English exceptionalism, this sort of ridiculous Gavin Williamson, we got the uh, vaccinations in first because we're a better country. <laughs> and I mean, you know, every time I put my head in my hands and I think we cannot get more stupid people, I'm sorry to be blunt, but that is exactly what it is. It's the sort of intellect of, of a child. Um, uh, it's something, something worse happens. But I think Johnson, interestingly, when there was that hubris last week with Williamson, with Matt Hancock, they go and got it only because of Brexit and Lok Sharma. Um, uh, actually, interestingly, Boris Johnson didn't do that. And I get the impression that he is thinking, this is the point I made earlier, he's thinking about what will Britain need to look like in a year's time. Uh, it's for sure whether it's uh, a third wave uh, pre-vaccinations really working January to March uh, next year in the cold weather, post-Christmas blues, all the stuff as Alice has laid out. It's going to be a very difficult January, February, March, getting people to conform to COVID restrictions is going to be even harder now that the vaccine uh, is out and about. Um, so he's going to have a very difficult short term. But I think he's right to be thinking about the long term. I think he should be looking for a compromise. He should stare down um, the uh, extreme levers who see conspiracy and everything and realise that he's got to forge a new relationship. You know, Britain is a European country. We're absolutely wedded to Europe, whether we're in or out of the EU. We've got Biden in America, who's not going to brook any of this nonsense in the way that Trump did and encouraged it. So I think he's he's looking for uh, almost his, I was going to say his second coming, uh, as in Dominic Cummings, you know, the life after, <laughs> life after that sort of visceral extremism in number 10. Uh, if he's got any sense, 2021, he should be rebranding himself in a much more mainstream way. Uh, let's turn our attention to um, some good news from this week. Vaccines, and obviously the, the first people getting the vaccine. We've had the, the, the breaking news this morning that, that two people have had an allergic reaction to it. Actually, Kate has just texted in saying that you're always asked before having a vaccine uh, if you've got any allergies. Um, uh, and it says it would be a pity if reporting of the two cases distorts the picture and puts people off taking the vaccine and so threatening the achievement of herd immunity. Um Alice, this is a precarious moment, isn't it, for the rollout of the vaccine, encouraging public take-up of it. Um, amazing pictures yesterday of um, uh, Maggie and William Shakespeare and, and whoever else rolling their sleeves up and getting the vaccine. But what happens in the next few days is going to be crucial to ensuring that other people take it. Yeah, I think it's fantastic news, actually, that they're being so honest. So they're giving people the choice to make their decision. They're not hiding anything. The fact they've actually said there have been two allergic reactions shows that they're trusting the public with the information and that they're saying that there's not, you know, so far we've done all the checks, we've done everything, we've, we've you know, it's, it's passed all its phases, this vaccine. But there could be this tiny possibility of an allergic reaction. So do say, gives you then the opportunity to take responsibility for yourself. And I just hope the anti-vaxxers don't use this and don't try and stir more animosity to the vaccine because it is really our only hope. And I think most of the country feel that. You know, on B-Day yesterday, everyone just felt better that, that we might have finally turned a corner. It wasn't just Matt Hancock who looked ecstatic. It was, you know, the whole country just felt that we might have moved forward in some way. So we don't really don't want people refusing to take it up. 
because then you're facing you know more waves and and more more difficult situation with how we deal with the virus. It is interesting when you look at the polling that we are one of the most pro science, most pro vaccination countries in the world, which I think is fascinating actually because mm. it feels to us as if we're not in the news, but actually we are. We are much better actually than the French at take up of vaccines and of most other countries. And what worries me is that some countries aren't going to have the opportunity that the British have to have a vaccine. So we are incredibly lucky that there is enough vaccine for everyone. And a lot of countries around the world haven't been getting yeah. that opportunity because yeah. the richer countries have bought up most of the vaccines. Yeah, there's an amazing story today, uh, John, from the People's Vaccine Alliance saying that um, while some countries have got enough to sort of uh, have ordered enough anyway to to uh, vaccinate everyone several times over. Uh, poorer countries might only be able to manage one in ten people. Not clearly, that's not enough to prevent the the virus spreading like wildfire. Yeah, it was a really fascinating story, and I I immediately thought of China, and you know we hear of Russia and its uh, Sputnik vaccine, which it rolled out. Uh, a lot of time earlier and got it through testing much earlier. And I certainly wouldn't take that vaccine. I think it would be highly sort of spurious and untested. But the Chinese one, I think is fascinating. They're already using it as a sort of lever for soft power. And China has been doing this kind of thing for years now, the Belt and Road. And they build countries, bridges, they build their infrastructure, they build their schools, they've been doing it in Latin America, in Africa, in parts of East Asia, as a a way of, of wielding influence and being seen as the world's most important superpower. Now the Chinese are already shipping, uh, so I've been reading uh, the vaccine in large numbers to Indonesia. And you can see that rolling out all over Asia and elsewhere. So if countries uh, that um, can't afford it or were unable to get early access to the vaccine, go knocking for for the vaccine, China ships it to them on the cheap. But it's, a, it's, it's not a philanthropy. They want something in return. And that's very much political influence. So I think, see, watch this post-COVID. I mean, you have the whole battles between Trump calling it the China virus and all of that. This is absolutely going to be at the forefront of of the big power games in, in next year and the year after. That was John Campanon and Alice Thompson giving us their take on the news. And you can read them uh, in The Times. Uh, and if you don't yet, you can get yourself a Times subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. Now it's time for this. 
Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yes, so it's PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. I'm joined in the studio by Tim Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times. Hello, Hello Matt. Nice to see you here in person. We're not going to see Keir Starmer in person, though. No, it's one out, one in, isn't it? We've had <laughs> Boris Johnson uh, doing it from uh, from his uh, remote location, and today um, it's Sakir who will uh, be uh, phoning in from his beautiful home. Um, the novelty's slightly worn off from people appearing via Zoom. I mean, I'm not sure, given he's not exactly Mr Pizzazz, I'm not sure we'll necessarily notice much difference. It'll be interesting to see whether the Labour Party has a better control of the sound than the government did when <laughs> Boris Johnson was uh, speaking to us from in. the bottom of a well. Um, uh, what do we expect to come up? Um, well, it's sort of exciting, isn't it, in one way and not in another, because Boris Johnson has two hot dates today, one with Keir Starmer and the other with Ursula von der Leyen, and the question is, who gives him the more tricky questions about Brexit? Um, the most interesting questions about Brexit might, though, come from the Tory backbenchers, um, who are all getting quite fired up. Uh, the Tory right worried that he's going to go off and sell the farm. Lord Ashcroft said that he wanted Boris Johnson to keep the lead in his pencil. Not normally something that is a problem for the <laughs> Prime Minister. Uh, but Edward Lee uh, will doubtless be uh, on his feet later. I think he's got a question and various others as well, I'm sure, will be... Uh, um, uh, giving him, trying to keep him honest in these Brexit talks. But there's a lot to talk about the, va- the vaccine as well. You know, as you say, allergic reactions. We've got the vaccine boss talking about mixing vaccines. There's a, there's a lot Starmer could go on there too. Uh, just looking at the House of Commons, Boris Johnson, uh, his, his hair's, it's fair to say his hair is more trademark Johnson. It's sort of um, haystackish uh, on, the, on the outer edges. Well, he's got a big day. He needs to feel comfortable with his barnet, doesn't he? And uh, it looks like he's uh, mustered up nicely. <laughs> Um, uh, interesting that Keir Starmer has chosen to do PMQs via Zoom this time round was last time round he, he got Angela Rayner to do it and she was quite good well as you pointed out last week Angela Rayner was getting pretty punchy on Twitter last week as well showing you know showing a bit of game as it were this is what you might get um, uh, and you know Sakir is uh, busy trying to establish his uh, uh, credentials with the public he probably doesn't want a slightly punchy and quite impressive deputy uh, getting in on the act yeah it was quite striking how uh Keir Starmer was keeping it fairly um straight and steady on the question of rolling out the vaccine while on twitter Angela Rayner was was basically socking it to um uh Boris Johnson politically which presumably goes down much better on twitter um uh and in terms of Keir Starmer and Brexit do you think he will he will ask questions about Brexit because Boris Johnson's got we can, we can already guess now probably what his, his comebacks will be about where Labour stand on Brexit these days. Well, I think he's got... There are things he could do because he could easily criticise uh, Johnson for failing to get a deal and for uh, having dragged it out this far and for being in a quite a, a sticky situation in these negotiations, should he wish to. And given that that will be the big news on the, the TV uh, this evening, Starmer might take the opportunity to slip in a question and get him get his views on the record. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't, because it's a subject he's often tried to avoid. OK, we can go to the Commons and to Keir Starmer's house. ...resemble those of uh, Australia's with the EU, or whether they're like those of Canada with the EU, I have absolutely no doubt that from January the 1st, this country is going to prosper mightily, Mr Speaker. Yeah. That's just Boris Johnson answering a question from Edward Lee. Now, uh, this is Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, and can I join with the Prime Minister in his comments about the vaccine rollout? It was fantastic to see the first part person, Margaret Keenan, 
uh, received the vaccine yesterday. It's a huge national effort and I want to thank everybody who's been involved with it. Mr Speaker, can I also thank you and the House authorities for enabling me to participate uh, today, notwithstanding the fact that I'm self-isolating. Mr Speaker, a year ago, the Prime Minister stood on the steps of Downing Street and promised the country, these were his words, a permanent break from talking about Brexit. Can the Prime Minister tell us, how's that going? I, I, I'm delighted to welcome the, the right honourable gentleman from his vantage point of exile in, uh, in Islington and uh, wish him all, the, all, all his spiritual home and wish him all the best uh, uh, in, his, uh, in, his, in his self-isolation. Uh, but uh, I can tell him that uh, his own not finding that very funny. This matter has been sphinx-like. I think the, uh, 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 I, I wonder quite what it is, Mr Speaker, that has... That has has kept him from asking this question uh, for so long. Uh, we delivered Brexit, Mr Speaker, on January the 31st, in case he failed uh, to notice. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, there we are. Well, yes. Um, there is, 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 is one that may be why Starmer hasn't asked too much about Brexit until this point. Yes. And there's a really interesting debate going on in the Labour Party about, uh, or within, you know, the left-wing commentary, as to whether or not Keir Starmer is a sort of strategic genius for the way he's... You know, he was supposedly the architect of Labour's Brexit policy and then he's, you know, he's tried to bury it and then he might do something. Or is he just, you know, sort of buffeted about and doesn't really know what to do? No, I think he he personally took the view that he wanted to move Labour into a, a, a softer position. But as leader now, and having seen a load of seats disappear out of the door at the general election, he knows that he's he's got a pretty fine line to tread in terms of looking like he wants to overturn the result. Um, uh on the one hand, or placate his uh, membership, which is fervently pro-European, uh, on the other. Um, I think, reporting back on the sound, we can say that while Johnson was at the bottom of well, Starmer sounds like he's locked in a small room. And the, uh, <laughs> it's a sort of bright white walls. It's yeah, a, it, it, it looks just, like an explosion in a white paint factory. Yeah, he's, he's found the least offensive background he could possibly find to try it so that nobody's, we're not picking over his kitchen cupboards. There's or no books on the shelves. None at all. Draw any conclusions from. Okay, let's go back to the House of Commons. Going back to Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Uh, Mr. Speaker, it's Camden, not Islington. Camden. Um, and the Prime Minister starts straight away by deflecting. Same old, same old, whether it's Covid or Brexit. Twelve months ago, he told the British people that he had an oven ready deal. He didn't say he had half a deal. He didn't say the next stage will be very, very difficult. In fact, he told the British people, this was before the election, he faced them and he told them, these were his words, that the chances of no deal were absolutely zero. And the now Chancellor obviously took him at his word because the Chancellor said in the run-up to the election, we won't need to plan for no deal because we have a deal. So a year on... Why should anyone who trusted the Prime Minister when he said he had a deal, including his Chancellor, apparently, believe a word that he says now? Let's just jump in there, because I suspect we can slightly preempt what Boris Johnson's going to But this debate about what, when Boris Johnson said oven-ready deal, 
What was he referring to? Was it the deal to leave the EU or the trade deal that's currently being negotiated? I mean, the problem is Boris Johnson wrote something in his manifesto. He said some other things out loud, um, and I'm afraid there was a degree of ambiguity. Um, it is certainly possible for he and his team to say he was referring to the withdrawal deal that he had already done at the end of last year. Uh, did he then give the impression to some people that that meant that um, getting the next phase of you know the trade deal done and dusted would be more straightforward than it has proven. I think that's a legitimate criticism as well. Um, but certainly he said slightly different things at slightly different times. So depending on which bit you quote and when, um, you can draw either argument in your direction. I do also seem to remember him telling us that um, once we'd left the EU in January, we'd never talk about Brexit again, which is well, not I mean, quite turned out to Anyone be who believed that needs their head <laughs> testing. Oh, we can't about hope. And also, does Keir Starmer appears to be standing up at home. Uh, the reason he sounds a bit strange is because he's appearing from home because he's self-isolated. He appears to have sort of built his own little lectern or something, or dispatch box, which is quite nice. Let's that go back. help his get, speech department. Get Boris Johnson's response. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I hesitate to accuse the right honourable gentleman of deliberately trying to mislead people, but uh, let's, let's be in no doubt uh, that we had a, uh, an oven-ready deal, which was the withdrawal agreement, by which by which, which, which the people voted for, uh, as he rightly points out, by which this country left the customs union, uh, left the single market and delivered on our promises. And I can tell him that whatever happens, and you, know, you must know this, Mr Speaker, uh, that whatever happens from January the, the, the 1st, uh, this country will be able uh, to get on with our points-based immigration system, which we have put into law in fulfilment of our manifesto commitment. We'll be able to get on with instituting free ports, a low tax free ports in places where jobs and growth are most needed around the country. We'll be able to honour our promise to the British people and institute higher animal welfare standards and we'll be able to do free trade deals and we'll get our money back as well, Mr Speaker. I don't know what else he wants to see from January the 1st, but all those things will be delivered. Well, there we are. We might as well just go back to, go back to Camden now. Uh, I, I see, uh, Mr Speaker... Um, apparently, get Brexit done just meant the first part of it, the easy bit. I don't remember that being written on the bulldozer at the time. Mr Speaker, last September, the Prime Minister actually hit the nail on the head when he said that leaving without a deal would be, in his words, a failure of statecraft. It would. It would be a total failure. And it will be the British people who pay the price. Does the Prime Minister agree with his own spending watchdog, the OBR, that the cost of that failure, of leaving the EU with no deal, would be higher unemployment, higher inflation, and a smaller economy? Uh, just before we hear from the Department, there's a, there's a certain risk to what Keir Starmer is doing here, because if Boris Johnson gets a deal this week which lots of people think is not impossible, um, his, his sort of line of attack goes away, doesn't it? A little bit. And also the, the, you know, the attack that he made at the start of the, the question there, saying you know, that Johnson did the easy bit getting the deal last year. Um, those of us that covered two <laughs> years of absolute parliamentary deadlock and disaster um, before um, Johnson went and shook hands with Leo Varadkar and did that deal, might recall that it wasn't quite as straightforward as that. It didn't feel quite that easy. Um, and, you know, it's possible he gets a deal this week. It's possible he doesn't. Um, clearly, it would have a political benefit for him if he were to do so, because it would seem 
like he'd done a good thing to most people, um, regardless of the detail. Other people would care deeply about the detail, of course. Um, but yes, it's it's perilous, and that's why Starmer has been stepping, tiptoeing through this. And the other thing, you know, some even people in the Labour Party will say, well, hang on a minute, um, you know, Keir Starmer was the one who pretty much blew up the Labour Tory talks when Theresa May was Prime Minister. He wanted a referendum. And by taking a line that was trying to sort of put things on hold or uh, potentially overturn them, he's ended up encouraging this slightly harder version of, of Brexit. And that's a criticism that a lot of people make. And it's interesting, he's, he's urging the Boris Johnson to get a deal while there's this debate, live debate in the Labour Party as to whether or not they would vote for or against any deal that he gets. Uh, let's go back. Speaker, the, the more he talks about Brexit, the more I can see why he tried to avoid the subject for the last, uh, for, for the last year. We did leave with a, with a very good deal. And uh, under any circumstances, this country uh, will prosper mightily. And uh, I, I, may, I may say to the, uh, to the right honourable gentleman, when he talks about the, uh, the possible adverse consequences for this country of uh, a deal on Australian terms, which I think is what he's, uh, what he's talking about, uh, we have yet to hear from the Labour Party what their view is of that matter. Would they, would they vote for it? Yes or no? I mean, he, was, he, he remained totally Delphic last week, Mr Speaker, about his policy on fighting coronavirus. He's, remained, he's totally Delphic about what to do on Brexit as well. Uh, Kiss, I was um, uh, looking a bit confused, actually. Well, only the Prime Minister could regard Delphic as a clever insult. Um, <laughs> uh, people start scrutinising their classical history to work out whether that's a, a bad thing or a very bad thing. And all this talk of an Australian-style deal. Australia don't have a deal currently with the EU. They're, you know, they'd like no, Australian-style deal, let's be frank, is the sophistry that the government comes out with to talk about not having a trade deal. In the same way that Australian base, uh, Australian style points based system for the immigrant, because everyone thinks, oh, wait, the sun shines, um, holidays, swimming in the sea, that all sounds nice. The sun will shine more if we have an Australian style deal. Uh, let's go back. I think there's now question number four from uh, a, a quizzical looking Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer? Mr. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister talks about indecision. He is absolutely stuck. This is the truth of it. He's absolutely stuck and dithering between the deal he knows that we need and the compromise he knows his backbenchers won't let him do. Mr Speaker, I genuinely hope this is the usual Prime Minister's bluster and that, like one of his newspaper columns, a deal arrives at the last minute. But for some people and their jobs, it's already too late. Yesterday, INEOS, a major employer in this country, announced that they will not now build a new Grenadier car in Bridgend and will move production to France instead. This is a project that just two months ago, the Prime Minister said was a vote of confidence. So hundreds of skilled jobs now won't go to Bridgend. Can the Prime Minister tell us how many more British jobs have to go overseas before he gets on with delivering the Brexit deal that he promised? There's something quite funny about him accusing Boris Johnson of being absolutely stuck when he's literally stuck at home. Um, uh, this is another uh, this this whole question of uh, the economic impact of Brexit and whether we leave with the deal or without deal. It's going to be very hard to separate that from the economic impact of coronavirus, isn't it? Well, that is the view of a lot of cabinet ministers, including people in the Treasury. Um, that you know the Brexit bit will, frankly, um, just be something unpleasant floating on top of large seas. Um, but Starmer there moving to what is much better terrain for him, which is, you know, potentially economic costs, specific jobs going, projects not going ahead. Um, and that's um, 
the kind of thing where um, I think he's going to have a lot more traction than on the, the questions he's asked so far. And, and also, just and this is what every good leader of the opposition does, trying to needle the Prime Minister and separating him from his own backbenchers and pointing out that actually the real challenge on Brexit doesn't really come from the Labour Party, it comes from Tory MPs. Well, Let's go- on that he's right, isn't he? Yeah, completely. Let's go back to Boris Johnson. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I think it's a, a bit much of the leader of the opposition to criticise the government uh, for failure to come up with a policy on Brexit when he can't even, and, and, and a bit much for him to attack the putative consequences of coming out on Australian terms, when he can't even say whether he would vote for that uh, deal, yes or no. Uh, if, he, if, he can't, if, he can't say, if he can't say whether he would vote for, vote for our deal, yes or no, then he can't, then I'm afraid, Mr Speaker, he simply cannot he simply cannot attack the government's policy. Until he, until he is able to come up with a position of his own, Mr Speaker, wrap a towel round his head, decide what he actually thinks, I find it very difficult to take his criticisms seriously. But what I can say is that this country will be ready for whether we have a Canadian or an Australian solution and there will be jobs created in this country throughout the whole of the UK, not just uh, in spite of Brexit, but because of Brexit. Because this country is going to become a magnet for overseas investment. Indeed, it already is and will remain so. Um, quite how uh, Keir Starmer can say whether or not he's going to vote for this deal without yet there being a deal or knowing what it is is a, is a sort of... Um... Yes, um, there are um, liberties being taken on both sides of this <laughs> argument um, at the moment. Um, but it's just, you know, this is a classic exchange uh, that we've come to see week after week from these two. Um, uh, Starmer says Johnson is a, you know... Uh, fly-by-night merchant who occasionally pulls it out of a bag at the last minute, um, and uh, Johnson responds that Starmer is a, you know, uh, an overweighted ditherer who has uh, yet to tell us what he thinks. Um, uh, points on both sides. <laughs> Let's go back to Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister asked me how I'll vote on a deal that he hasn't even secured. Secure the deal, Prime Minister. You promised it. And I can say this, Mr Speaker, if there is a deal, and I hope there's a deal, then my party will vote in the national interest, not on party political lines, as he is doing. Mr Speaker, this is about leadership. The Prime Minister has done 15 U-turns. He's had five different plans on on COVID. And last week, 53 of his own MPs voted against it. So if I were him, I wouldn't talk about leadership. The Prime Minister hasn't always wanted to listen to business. We know what his message to business is, but he should listen to them. Let me quote the CBI. They say the message for business is this, get a deal quickly. Then there's the National Farmers Union. Time is running out, they say. It's very hard to get the final preparations. These are the people the Prime Minister should be listening to, not his backbenchers. And on the question of preparation, the government knew months ago that it needed 50,000 customs agents trained and ready to go from the 1st of January, deal or no deal. So can the Prime Minister tell the House how many of the 50,000 agents will be in place on the 1st of January? That's 23 days' time. Well, there was a lot in there. Um, We both leapt for our pencils at that point when he said, if there's a deal, and I hope there's a deal, my party will vote 
in, in the, the national, national interest. interest. Well, that's a clever formulation that says we'll do whatever we damn well please when the time comes. You, um, you are merely playing politics. I act in the national interest. Yeah, well, I mean, that's fine. That's, that's, that's what any politician should uh, seek to project. Um, and, <laughs> uh, but it also gives him, uh, you know, the flexibility to do a deal with his own shadow cabinet and with his own party, um, depending on what Boris Johnson does or doesn't come up with. I do think it's a slightly curious argument um, that, you know, uh, Johnson might sort of pull this out uh, out of the bag at the last minute, like one of his Daily Telegraph columns. I just thought the public would have thought that that was a pretty good thing for prime ministers yeah. to go around doing. And, and if you get if you get things done, albeit at the last minute, then you know. And there's been a lot of broad brush here, and I think what Starmer's done again there with the final bit of that, asking about these customs officers, that's a proper question to which there is presumably no good answer, um, because I suspect the number is either unknown to Boris Johnson or much smaller than fifty thousand, um, and. You know, this is where Starmer's good. We sometimes criticise him for being a bit too in the weeds and not doing the big picture argument. But it feels to me on this like he should have tried to do a little bit more uh, detail um, because the big picture is not one that he's in command of particularly. Right, let's go back and uh, let's see if Boris Johnson does answer that question. Well, Mr. Speaker, it's wonderful to get the end of that question. Uh, I can tell him him, uh, that we've invested a billion pounds already in getting this country ready for uh, whatever the uh, trading relationship is that we have on on January the 1st and uh, 84 million into uh, supporting uh, customs agents across the the UK, 200 million uh, into supporting our ports. And uh, they're doing an amazing... And I want to thank business for the incredible job they're doing of getting ready. Uh, we've all got to get ready because under any view there is going to be change from January the 1st. There will be change in the way we uh, do business. There will be more opportunities for this country around the world. And I'm delighted by what I take as the increasing signalling I'm getting uh, from Camden. I apologise, Mr. Speaker. The, the, the message from Camden seems to be uh, that actually, uh, given the choice, the right honourable gentleman would vote for a deal rather than not. Did you get that impression? I, I think I did. Hopefully we could have the final question, a little short, to Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, I take it that the answer is the Prime Minister has no idea whether the 50,000 customs agents will be in place on the 1st of January. He either doesn't know or he doesn't care. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister said he had a deal. He didn't. He said he would protect jobs. He didn't. He said he'd prepare for any outcome. He hasn't. And whatever may happen in the next few days, there's no doubting that his incompetence has held Britain back. So will he end this charade, end the uncertainty, get the deal that he promised and allow the country to move on? Minister. Uh, Mr Mr. Speaker, I I want to thank the the right honourable gentleman for for his final baffling question. Last week, week he... he, uh, as I say, Sphinx-like, avoided any pronouncement on uh, how this country was going to fight COVID. He refused to uh, support the measures that we have put in place. This, this, this week, he remains deafeningly silent on what he really thinks about a Brexit deal. Uh, while, he, while, he, while, he, while he puts a cold towel around his head, Mr Speaker, lost in thought, tries to work out what his position is, we are getting on to order. Mr Bryant... This is the common speaker. Mr Bryant. Talking to Chris Bryant there, the Labour MP. I suggest the whip goes and has a word with him. We're not having that disgraceful behaviour. Prime Minister. 
Mr. Speaker, I, I think you should, you should give, summon him back. He seems to, he seems to have vanished. Uh, but but wh- while, the, while the right honourable uh, gentleman tries to work out what his position is, we're getting on with the, with the work of, of government. And it's, uh, as, he, as he says, it's a year since his people's government was elected, and I'm very proud that we're delivering on the people's priorities. 6,000 of the 20,000 police officers, Mr. Speaker, 14,800 of the 50,000 nurses already, and we're getting on, we're getting on with building every one of the 40 hospitals, in fact 48 hospitals, that we're going to deliver, along with the biggest programme of infrastructure investment in this country for a century, uniting and levelling up across the whole of the UK. And whether the outcome is Canada or whether it's Australia, Mr Speaker, we will be taking back control, and we have already taken back control, of our money, our borders and our laws, and we will seize all the opportunities that Brexit brings. Well, the most interesting thing from that exchange is what on earth it was that Chris Bryant said that provoked uh, Lindsay Hoyle. It wasn't picked up by the microphones. The well, fo- uh, Bryant is a big Remainer, and I wonder whether he was uh, having a sort of a pop at the Prime Minister there. Um, it knocked him off his stride a little bit. I thought Starmer's question, which wasn't, of course, a question, it was a long statement that can go immediately on <laughs> YouTube and Twitter. But, you know, we criticise him sometimes for not really landing that final one uh, with a bit of gusto. And what he did there was clearly designed to... To clip for the news, um, you know, it, 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 it mounted the argument with the soundbite at the end. That sometimes we've been critical of him for not doing. You know, he said he'd get a deal. He didn't. He said he'd protect jobs. He didn't. Um, uh, he said he'd prepare uh, for any outcome. He hasn't. And then urged him uh, to get the deal that he promised that the country can move on. And that that's you know that, that is a, will be used on the news. That is and a, that's one of the jobs of the leader of the opposition. I thought that was uh, effective. He could have delivered it with slightly more gusto. Um, but that will it's difficult, you know, be though, seeing that on social media pretty soon. It's pretty difficult to perform with gusto in gusto, a whitewashed... In, in, your, uh, in your utility room with your, your pyjama bottoms on or whatever it is that he's, um, he's doing uh, PMQs from. Uh, Keir Starmer, uh, self-isolating from uh, home now. What do you think... Um, we touched on it, Tim, uh, briefly, but where is the challenge coming from for Boris Johnson? He clearly doesn't think he needs to worry too much about what the Labour Party is going to do on his uh, Brexit deal. But what about the Tory backbenchers? Well, I think broadly, actually, he's got them under control. I mean, the great secret in all of this is that uh, that the Prime Minister himself is the toughest in his own cabinet on Brexit. He knows that it happened partly because he decided to vote for it and campaign for it. Um, eventually, you know, the first bit of the deal got over the line because he managed to become Prime Minister and force it through. Um, and, uh, you know, none of us knows what's in his heart and mind completely about whether he wants to do a deal. His problem is with the EU, actually, much more than it is with his backbenchers at the moment. There is a deep philosophical difference between the kind of Brexit that Boris Johnson wants uh, and the kind of Brexit that the EU wants to give him. Now, it, that doesn't mean they won't be compromised. There might be. Uh, but when you hear Angela Merkel saying they're prepared to live with no deal, we're clearly in the continuing to ramp up the rhetoric phase of this um, and we've got a very short amount of time in order to get it over the line but Boris Johnson I don't you know most of the Brexiteers the people in the ERG that I spoke to over the weekend they did not think he was on the verge of selling out and I think if anything um, he's likely to hold the line it just you know there clearly will be some compromise on fishing but on the principles of making our own rules um, which is where the real crunch is um, my impression is that um, There'll be some twiddles around the edges, but the main principle um, he's going to stick to. Um, and if they don't like that, we probably will end up with, uh, you know, no deal Australia um, without the sunshine. Uh, uh, and I suppose that the key point is that actually 
then it become if we do end up with no deal, it's not going to become an argument about you know is this quite the Brexit we voted for. Uh, it becomes an argument about the economic impact of that. Uh, yeah, uh, and then what do you do about it? What does the government do to stimulate the economy to protect the, the jobs that are hurt? You know, you talk to anyone in the Treasury and they rightly point out, look, we've got a heck of a lot of safety net stuff in place at the moment for COVID. Brexit will come on top of that. Um, it may be that we need to extend or deepen some of those schemes in due course, but it's not like there's nothing there at the moment. Um, so there is, you know, it may just look like COVID just got a bit worse. Um and at a time when COVID is sort of getting slightly less bad. So uh, is Brexit really going to make it look, um, you know, any worse than it did at the height of those two national lockdowns? P- possibly not. Um, well, it's all been happening because obviously not many MPs are allowed into the House of Commons chamber. Uh, while uh, I've just noticed Pete Witchhart is an SNP MP. He's appearing via home. Looking uh, very angry. With his uh, gold discs because he used to be in a... Uh, Runrig. Runrig. Runrig was the band he used to be in. So he's showing very off his, successful Scottish Showing off his gold discs. But elsewhere in the Houses of Parliament, because only 50 MPs are allowed into the House of Commons uh, chamber, Portcullis House has been evacuated by a fire alarm, Kerry McCarthy, the Labour MP, tweets. So she's sitting in the Bellamy's coffee shop with a coffee listening to Lonely This Christmas by Mud. Well, she could be listening to us, so, you know, do better. Exactly. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Listen to my Times radio show every Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Uh, You can listen on DAB Radio, on your smart speaker. Get the Times Radio app. You can also listen to the Red Box podcast of the Times Radio app as well. And if you want to read about the stories that we've been talking about, then you need a Times subscription. To get that, go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.